0: Uh, okay, the planes have stopped flying overhead. All right, you can start. Here you go. Hello, this is Ron Calgill from Mighty House. You're listening to 1590 and 95.9 WCGO, Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Last off.
1: God, Trap, don't you ever think about what you're putting into your body?
2: What? It's an orange. Fruit is basically poison. If you want to unlock its vitamins and nutrients, you need to drink it as cold-pressed juice. Okay. (laughs) Never mind. Juice is bad for you now.
1: Juice is basically sugar water, which is basically poison. Fine, I didn't want to drink it anyway. Wow, Trap, no fruit? I mean, you need vitamin C. How do you get it, then? You mix little packets of powderized vitamin C with water. Vitamin C is basically magic. In that, I have no idea how it works, and I believe it can do anything. Okay, explain again why I'm supposed to drink this? They say it's healthy. Who? They.
2: What is it supposed to do? Be healthy. How? In what way? There was a
1: headline on an article that I didn't read on a website that I can't remember that said that it's healthy. Isn't that enough? It's the
3: Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611.
4: Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine, will. Good planets are hard to find.
3: Good planets! This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better light. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. On
0: 1590 and
5: 95.9. 95.9.
0: Not point, just 95.
5: <laughs> WCGO. Okay, hold on. Chicago Smart Talk.
0: I was just uh, trying to get my mic from drooping here and get my headset up to the right level. And, and I was just sharing on Facebook. And now you're loud. Okay, how do I get that? I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, okay, there we go. Whew. Welcome. Good morning. There's got to be a morning after uh the after the snowstorm and uh yeah we are now on uh, fm as well as am and it is 959 because whoops oops.
5: that was, that was my computer
0: is that oh i thought it was my computer no,
5: was, it could be yours but that particular was mine
0: okay I'm um, still
5: getting the whole Facebook show. I know. Thing it's like, out could, here. You know,
0: you should see the six minutes before the show <laughs> starts. Here, it's it's pretty entertaining. We should uh, we should do a video of this uh someday. Of course, mm-hmm. nobody would be looking up because they'd all be buried in their screens. In the... <laughs>
5: and Ellie doesn't have time, and Andrew doesn't have time. Uh, yeah, I don't no, know who would do
0: it. Just, and they're still like, well, what's going on in there? And uh today uh we are very very pleased to have the Queen. Is is she? Uh, is the Queen all hooked up there, uh, Andrew? Oh, okay. she's then, laughing. Yeah. She's smiling. <laughs> There's the queen. You even have a good Good morning. That is Melinda Myers, the queen of all social media. She is, hi, a hall of famer, Melinda Myers. (laughs) And those of you who never listened to Harry Carey have no idea what that really bad impersonation was all about. So, hi, Melinda. Good morning. (laughs)
6: Good morning, and I agree this after, the morning after the snowstorm, ugh.
0: <laughs> Did you, There's uh okay, fruit. I don't, I I looked out of my yard, I walked out, I took a couple of pictures, I showed folks Me here you. in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh You know what? Most of my tulips just went whoop and popped right back up. I got a couple that are bent over, and uh, they'll end up in a vase, and uh that's kind of it. I'm now, here in Chicago, now, I'm in a heat island, right in the middle of Chicago, so, we didn't get for folks listening next week uh getting this at KOTA or WRSC or somewhere else across the country uh we uh, we had snow in Chicago on the 27th of April let's let's put a date on it here so stamp that uh, recording mark that uh, with a <laughs> with a date stamp uh and which is that'd be okay I guess except that we had snow 2 weeks ago also
5: and last Sunday, it was beautiful. It was 70-something degrees. in the degrees. middle,
0: yeah, in the middle, it was crazy beautiful.
6: And you bring up a good point, Mike, and that's one of the things. I texted my daughter this morning, who yesterday was going, it's going to snow. Do I need to cover my plants? And I'm like, snow's your best mulch. I texted her this morning because I did the same thing. I went outside, took some pictures. I have some stuff leaning over, but I said, just let the snow melt and the plants recover. You know, we do more damage trying to shake the snow off our plants and standing them upright. Nature will take care of it. So for any of you that are looking out the window going, oh, my tulips are laying over, my bleeding heart we're laying over, (laughs) they'll pop back up without our help. You know, it's not ideal for gardeners or the gardens to get snow at this time, but it's happened before. And some of you may remember the May 10th snowstorm that just destroyed a lot of trees because they were totally leafed out. So. If this is our last one, I consider ourselves lucky, sort of. Well, of. <laughs>
0: but we don't know when you...
6: <laughs> I'm trying not to whine, but I was doing a lot of that yesterday. <laughs>
0: well, we, as we know, the polar vortex has gone rogue, and that's kind of <laughs> kind of what's happening here. Well, yeah, it's all wobbly and stuff, and so it comes down, and, uh, and it swipes at us, and then it goes back up, and then we have to deal with that. So... Uh, We're going to take a break, that's Melinda Myers. As I said, she's a very fancy uh, horticulturist, (laughs) and uh, I'm uh, a
6: friend of yours.
0: (laughs) Hall (laughs) of Famer Melinda Myers, (laughs) and uh, we're going to talk about more about keeping your plants healthy when it gets hot and cold, and hot and cold, hot and cold, because it's spring in the Midwest. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Smart farmers know that good growing starts with good soil biology. And you can't do better than with products from Tineo Biologicals, the industry leader for 30 years, now available through Blazing Star. You'll find soil and seed inoculants, growth-promoting enzymes, foliar fertilizers, and biostimulants. Whether you're conventional, organic, or in transition, learn about Tinyo's biological farm management system. Go to blazing-star.com, and while you're there, check out their pollinator packets.
7: Farm Forward is a team of people just like you helping to change the way our world eats and farms to promote conscientious food choices, reduce farmed animal suffering, and advance sustainable agriculture. We are changing policy, changing farming, and changing the story we tell about animal agriculture. Farm Forward is shaping the future of food with a twin focus on animal welfare certification and reducing the consumption of animal products. We are changing farming by working with farmers to build alternatives to the factory farm and developing food systems that put animals, farmers, and communities first. To learn more about Farm Forward's work to end animal suffering and advance sustainable agriculture, head to www.farmforward.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter to receive the latest news about how we're transforming our food system and what you can do to help. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Farm Forward. I'm Holly Baird.
6: And
0: I'm Joy Baird. We are the hosts of the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener Radio Show at our
6: flagship station out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and a few other places across the country. And we always listen to... The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. If you're not listening in, you're missing out.
0: Uh, they're probably not listening now if they didn't hear us already.
3: Well,
6: they should. Well,
0: here's Mike and Peggy. Okay, so what they're saying is if if you're not listening to it right now, you're not hearing it. Or something like that, huh? Okay, yeah. Thanks, Holly and Joey Baird. And uh, I'm sure they've got stories to tell of uh, their garden. I have to tell my story. By the way, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We've got Melinda Myers on the Skype machine here this morning, live from somewhere in the wilds of Wisconsin. (laughs) Speaking of Wisconsin, how much snow did you get up there?
6: Uh, we, you know, we only got a couple inches. I made my first appearance at one of my garden center partners yesterday morning, and there were amazing gardeners out shopping despite the forecast of six to eight inches of snow. And it really didn't start snowing till late afternoon, and we only have a couple inches. And it's supposed to be in the 50s, it's about 48 now. So I'm hoping when we're done, I can finish cleaning up my gardens, which um, I'm not done with yet. <laughs> so, you know, nothing like uh, procrastination.
0: That's okay. Let me tell you my story, which is uh, I got home on Friday. And, of course, Friday was just was just gor- oh. gorgeous. I mean, it was so beautiful in the Midwest. Uh, and I get a I, phone call, phone call, phone rings, ding. Uh, hello. Is this Mike Novak? Uh yeah, are you with uh Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards? Uh yeah. Well, this is Channel Five. Um, do you uh do you want to talk about what the cold weather is going to do to your plants? Well, sure. I'll I'll do that. Okay, good. Um, do you have any plants in your yard? <laughs> I said yeah. I got I got a few. Yeah, you can come over and shoot the the plant. Actually, they look great. Uh, it was, uh, their, their timing, they missed the, the flush of daffodils, but they, but they caught the flush of tulips. Nice. Uh, But I have, you know, five times as many daffodils as tulips. Uh, Mm -hmm. so, but still tulips, you know, bright red just really pops. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they, so, okay, we'll be over in about an hour and a half. And, uh, they come over and they interview me and they say, so what are you going to do? And I said, uh, uh, Nothing. Uh, really? Uh, I'm just gonna kinda let the plants, uh, do what they're gonna do, cause this is spring and it's Chicago and this stuff happens and, you know, and if a few of them get whacked, then, uh, I move on to the next phase, you know, cause there's already stuff coming up out of the ground that's gonna bloom in May or June. Uh, you just, you just sort of live with it. I said, you know, the daffodils are already peaked, so I'm not losing any daffodils really. And, uh, the tulips, uh yeah, I'll probably get some to bend over. I'll put them in a vase and, uh, move on. I said, the one thing I am going to do is I brought out some, uh, tropicals. I'm taking all those Mm -hmm. indoors and to protect them because I don't know how cold it's going to get. And it, uh, I don't, I don't think we had a hard freeze. I was talking to our meteorologist, Rick DeMaio, about that, and his definition of a hard freeze, and, and people have various definitions of a hard freeze, his is 28 degrees for four hours or longer, basically. I mean, you could, you could quibble with that, right. uh, but that's his, and we certainly didn't get that here. Now, you might have gotten a little colder up your way.
6: I don't think we had it for four hours, so I think we were okay. We were definitely below 32, but that snow is a great insulation. And I, did they use your interview on the news? Because they were looking for something spectacular, right? I'm yeah. building a cold frame. I'm doing all
0: this. Right. And you yeah.
6: want the truth.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, guess what? They did not use it, so I went to... <laughs> So, you know, and, and (laughs) for, and for an hour and a half, I was schlepping pots around and, and cleaning up stuff and, but now it looks great and pruning. And so, yeah, my, my yard looks wonderful. And I didn't even let them in the backyard because, um, I've got a picket fence, an old wooden picket fence that's sort of collapsing so i look okay. i look like the reincarnation of the jode family so uh <laughs> i i I'm not let because there was no way you could do you had no backdrop in the backyard no. and uh and so no
5: vines to cover it at this time no, of year <laughs> no
0: not right because i have my i have my uh, virginia creeper grow over that stuff but even the virginia creeper can't hide how bad the fence looks so now i'm being a bad neighbor uh and it's time to take it down but (laughs) as you okay let's start with that melinda i have to take down my fence in the backyard and put up something new if i'm going to put up something new or just leave the cyclone fence that's there uh on either side uh but i've got plants all along it what what's your recommendation on that
6: so, do you need a fence? Do you feel if you've got plant do you want to replace the fence, or can you carefully remove it without damaging those plants? I, or is that the concern? I,
0: I could easily remove it without damaging the fence because if I look at it funny, it's going to collapse and it okay. Hits,
6: okay? <laughs> That's probably your easiest solution. Do you feel you need some structure behind those plants or some strategically placed trellises maybe for those areas that you'd like a little more screening throughout the year?
0: You know, and, and, and is what you're getting at is uh, maybe not a hole fence, but just things where you need it.
6: Right, and that's one of the things, you bring up such a good point. Maybe this is what you're trying to lead me to, and I'm following slowly. No, sorry. no, no, you're doing great, whatever you're uh, doing. <laughs> you know, I think often I, and you probably get this question, you get this question too, is how many arborvitae do I need to block the view of my neighbor? <laughs> <laughs> and I want it to go from the front curb to the back alley. So that's a really nasty neighbor. And the problem is, we all know that you put that in, you put that hedge in, and one of them dies right in the middle you yep. know after 6 years
0: you've been you've been to one of my talks haven't you
6: <laughs> i think we yeah. used the same line. i, I, I think so, so. Say, you so know the, you, the,
0: the question what? i the question that people always ask after they plant this stuff is how come i can
6: still see my neighbors <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the things is i always suggest mixing it up maybe some trellises and vines or if you have a fence mix up your planting so that if something dies you know there's not this huge hole that you can't fill immediately, you know, maybe some grasses, maybe some evergreens, maybe some deciduous plants that yeah, lose their yeah. leaves, when they have flowers and fall color. So you have seasonal interest, but you know, when something goes, you can easily fill that space in without it looking like, Oh, mm-hmm. that Arborvitae died. And there's, you know, 30 more that look fine. <laughs> and so And I think it's just especially, I think even with large landscapes, but even more so with small landscapes, having that diversity um, just allows you to have so much more seasonal interest in that small space, yet has some continuity with texture and, you know, maybe a few base plants scattered throughout. Uh, I'm
0: not going to do the Arborvitae uh, fence.
6: No, no.
0: Because I, I sneer at people who do, so I better not do that myself not your style but but no it's not and uh uh and as you say Melinda what invariably happens is the one in the middle dies uh, oh yeah and oh. and now you're scrambling to replace that and get it the same height and the same and it never works out so yeah. uh, why why do that when you if you have a mixed bed uh and mixed plants uh it, it, you don't have to worry about that
6: And the other thing is, is leaving some openings. If there is, if your neighbor has a beautiful perennial garden and you want to see that and it's, They still have privacy and you do. Maybe you need an opening so or you have a park nearby or across the street. You know, look at those views and then think of the views when you're sitting on your deck, when you're standing in your yard, when your neighbors are looking in. (laughs) You know, what views do you really need to screen and which ones do you want to keep? Because it can make that smaller space feel much larger as well by keeping some openings. I was giving a talk on small space and one gentleman came up and he goes, we call those the martini passes openings you know that neighbor you like to share a beverage with at the end of the day <laughs> need a little opening there pass,
5: perfect pass.
6: so i thought that was a great a great strategy
0: uh and uh, uh unfortunately i'm well it's changed now i have a neighbor on one side who is now dead so the martini passing uh, doesn't, doesn't stop
6: with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
0: That is uh, Melinda Myers. You can go to Mel- uh, Melinda Myers, M Y E R S dot com, and find out all you need to know about everything. I was cruising your website yesterday and. Uh, You got tons of it. You you know, you're appealing to the the kids now, I see, the the millennials, because you don't write anything anymore. You just put videos and audios up there, and you make them listen and watch in real time, don't you?
6: Well, I do some writing for newspapers and magazines, and then we let them have the joy of posting it on their sites. But you're right, video and audio, and they're short. They're one minute, (laughs) because it seems like it doesn't matter what age you are. We all have too much to do and a short attention span, so... I am going after that. Here's one quick idea, one thing you can accomplish, one change you can make just to, you know, we're all busy and I just hope that I want to try to get people who are new to gardening excited and those of us that have been gardening a long time, share a few new ideas so that, you know, every year we're looking to try a new plant, try a new strategy, do something different. Um, You know, we've had plenty of time to look at garden catalogs with all this crazy weather this spring. So Uh, my, I looked at my plant orders this year and I was like, Ooh, I'm going to be busy planting. (laughs) Ah.
0: Yeah. You know, you, you say something that Holly and Joey Baird said when they were on the program a couple of months ago, which is, uh, when you get to the new season, try something different. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need to do the same old, same old every year. I'm going to try a few different things this year and that's what makes gardening fun.
6: Oh, you bet. You bet. And I and I was working at Ebert's Greenhouse Village up one of the garden centers here in Wisconsin. And I was not gonna buy any plants because I knew the snowstorm was coming, but all the cool stuff you want to shop early. So yeah. So I ended up with a car full of plants that are now in my shop that are under some lights that I'm like, wow, uh, but they were gonna be gone. You know, so there was a new sedge, um, I forget the name, that was chartreuse that will look beautiful against my red house. I had to buy it. They only had a tray that they bought in this year, so Mm -hmm. I bought a few of those. And, you know, all these new plants that I haven't grown that, you know, part of it is we have to do this, right? So we can talk about them and tell people how they grow. (laughs) That's my excuse anyway. And they have
5: this habit of just jumping into your car. Thank you, Peggy. I thought that was just me. So now you've confirmed (laughs) that's
0: the truth. (laughs) And and in my house, they have a habit of still being there in 2023, uh, still in the pot. And I think, oh yeah, I I guess I should get that in. And it's still alive because I water it, you know, mm-hmm. through 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 many summers. And I say, I'm gonna find a place for that plant one of these days.
6: Oh, I, I moved some stuff from my old house, and I've been here since 20. I moved plants in 2013, so um, I have a few of those, uh, too, waiting for a home. <laughs> uh,
0: that's just sad, you know? But, but sad. But you know what? It's it's very funny, because I, I do some garden talks, and in one of them, I have a photo of a flat of flowers. And it's sitting on a bench in my backyard. And I said, uh, that's my new style. Uh, you don't even need to plant them now. You just leave the flat on the bench, you water it and you keep it going and I said, How many people in the room do that? And it's like a bunch of hands went up. So I'm not the only one who ends up doing that. So folks, as long as you're keeping it alive, it's everything's good. It's all good.
6: And you found a good spot for a fellow horticulturist told me he has the flat garden, but he puts all his flats at the end of the garage. And when they have company, he has, or at the end of the drive. And when he has company, he has to move them out of the way and then back into the driveway. And he says, after a whole season of that, I end up throwing them in the compost pile, the annuals at the end. So he's enjoyed a beautiful garden at the end of his driveway, but he has to move it if they need it for parking. So you're <laughs> much smarter. Put it on a bench where you don't have to move it as often. Or, or
5: put it in a, in a wagon. So, you can just move the flats around your yard. Even better. And that's so
6: trendy right now. So, even trendy and functional.
0: (laughs) And and by the way, folks, uh, 877 711 5611. If you want to talk to Melinda Myers, hey, we got her on here for a little while, and she's got all the answers, all the answers.
6: Pressure, pressure.
0: Every single answer you ever want. You're looking at me as if something's coming in on Facebook. Or yep,
5: we have a comment uh, about screening the neighbors from Scott, who oh. suggests leather leaf viburnum, hornbeam, and a tall trellis that exceeds the height of a legal fence.
0: There you go. How about that?
5: Very nice,
6: and what a nice combination—a small-scale tree. So for small-scale gardeners, hornbeam is such a nice. Uh, are you point.
0: beeping or are we beeping? Oh. That's
6: me, and my phone's off, and I'm sorry, but I'm <laughs> burying it under all my uh, stuff. Still...
0: So somebody, somebody's calling you directly and saying, "Hey, Melinda, you're on the radio." <laughs> exactly.
6: Uh, Not one of the millennial who gets it. Yeah, uh,
0: back, <laughs> folks. Back, back, back to the suggestion. Uh, those suggestions. You were you were commenting on the oh
6: sorry, I just love that they used a combination not only of different plants but different heights and then different types of plants, so a tree a a vine on a trellis a shrub, some ground cover you know thinking layers. And layers also are great for our pollinators, um, which so many of us are concerned about. We need all of our pollinators and they're in jeopardy. And by providing different layers in your landscape, not only is it visually interesting, but it's great for pollinators because some you know, overwinter in leaf litter, some the caterpillars feed on the leaves of trees, some overwinter in tree hollows. So you're providing lots of habitat for a variety of pollinators. And so that's a great way to have beauty and function screening but then also support the pollinators we need. All right, we're going right.
0: to we're going to get back to uh, Melinda Myers first of all. Got a minute for your trees? Friday, April 26th, was Arbor Day, and on that day, Bartlett tree experts gave away 21,000 wow. tree wow. seedlings in communities across the United States. It was, wow. It was wow. part... Yeah, it's very cool. Part of the Bartlett Legacy Tree Program, which has distributed more than 310,000 seedlings since its inception five years ago. The program was established to support tree planting and stewardship in local communities through the annual distribution of seeds in schools... And at events and to reforestation efforts. In 2019, this year, a total of 75,000 trees will be distributed by Bartlett Tree Expert employees. Just a few weeks ago when Phil Fitch from the Chicago Bartlett office joined us at Wild Blossom Meadery on the south side, Bartlett generously handed out Sergeant Crabapple and Coosa Dogwood seedlings. Trees have been given away in more than 30 U.S. states, three Canadian provinces and locations in Greater London, in the United Kingdom, as well as Dublin, Ireland. Give Bartlett tree experts a call. Because no matter the city, the state, or even the country, every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. More Melinda Myers when we come back.
5: This is Peggy Malecki. Are you ready to take your indoor gardening to the next level? Then you need to download the Anywhere, Anytime Garden booklet from happyleafled.com. You'll learn about lighting and troubleshooting and get advice from the pros about getting your seeds started. You'll also find recipes to enjoy the food you've grown indoors. Go to happyleafled.com and click on the microphone to download the beta version. Jumpstart your seedlings with better light. HappyLeafLED.com Hey, this is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings Chicago Magazine. And for the past nine years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier and more sustainable lives. Pick up your copy of Natural Awakenings each month and enjoy inspiring information about integrative health, local and organic foods, creative expression, personal growth, our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in locations throughout Chicago and suburbs or visit us at nashicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel
3: good. Live simply. Laugh more. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day.
8: There's got to be a morning after <laughs> oh If we can hold on through the night
0: Only four inches of snow Have
2: a chance to find the sunshine Where
0: is the oh, wow. sunshine? Where is it?
4: Let's keep on looking for
0: the light Yeah, 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 okay Welcome back to the Mike Novak show with Peggy Cut that out of your are system. You, are you still with us, Melinda, or did you go away I, now?
6: I'm still with you.
0: Okay, good. No, uh, that is uh, Melinda Myers and we're talking all kinds of gardening stuff this morning. Uh and I think we we already addressed the cold issue, but I just for folks who might be uh wondering what the upshot of all that is, um I think I was thinking about it uh uh on the way in this morning, and at this time of the year, you have to expect that kind of thing to happen, especially if you're in certain parts of the country. If you're in the northern climes at all, you know, and that reaches mm-hmm. across the country from, uh, you know, Seattle to New York City and a, just a little bit south of that. Uh These things are going to happen, and so the best you can do is roll with it. I did have one woman write to me yesterday and say, I'm going to take— some flower pots and put them upside down on my favorite tulips and my response is knock yourself out however my tulips are too tall for that um and i would need 30 or 40 pots just to you know get half of of what i was trying to protect um and i I don't have that many tulips, but if i were going to protect my daffodils as well and and you could do that but as you said earlier melinda that that is probably that might do more damage than good
6: You'd want to make sure you keep the cover and the snow off the plants because one reason I didn't want to cover is I thought if I put floating row cover or anything over my plants, the snow's going to smash that down and that'll be heavier and worse than just the snow itself. You know, if you had some big shrub pots and you had a few favorite things you were really concerned about and you sleep better if you do it, (laughs) then go for it. But I'm with you, Mike. I just life is too full and busy for so many <laughs> of us and and if you have enough coming up afterwards and every season you learn something and that's i used to tell my students that getting older as a gardener is only bad from a back and knee standpoint yeah. but right mm-hmm. but you've gained so much knowledge and experience you go oh i remember when that happened and the plants are finer oh well, I didn't have daffodils that year because we had that cold snap just as the buds were breaking. But the next year I got flowers. So it's it's one of those things to take some pictures, joke about why we're crazy to be gardening here and remember next year. And, and we have to embrace and enjoy every year we get good gardens and plan for improvements. So when these things happen, we've got something ready to bloom right after the snowstorm.
0: And I already had, uh, not a tragedy, but um, uh, a setback uh, earlier this year. Uh, my house is uh, north-south orientation, so on okay. the south side, which is towards the street, I get the sun early in the season. And I had um, uh, a lot of daffodils coming up, and I had some several large patches of King Alfred, is that the name of oh. it? Yeah, which yeah. are beautiful yellow daffodils. They got toasted uh, because it, it, they came up and then they got frozen and I got a third. I mean, I could see the buds. The buds mm-hmm. were just there and they were all blasted and they never bloomed. And in the backyard, none of that happened. So in the front yard, I had scorched tips on a lot of my plants because they came up early. Then they got blasted and they went into stasis and then they came finished coming up. But some of the blooms got uh, wrecked uh, in the backyard. None of that at all.
6: And, you know, that that's where you take some notes. And if it really is an issue every year or it's really bothersome when the ground freezes in the fall, you throw down some evergreen boughs or after Christmas is usually soon enough. Keeps the soil consistently cold so it thaws out later. So you delay that sprouting. So that's mm-hmm. a sort of an easy option if you're bothered by that early sprouting. I know you're not, but others might be, <laughs> and that's a, and that's a, you know, that's one of those things. Mark your calendar. You have those arborvitaes that split in the snowfall because of this load of snow. Well, the ones Loose you tried to time. put,
0: the ones you tried to put in the fence, uh, to, right? To the, that were half brown already. yes. Right, you're right. Just they're <laughs> dead already. So throw them on the ground.
6: For those that have them by the front door, you might want to wrap them in bird netting. You know, it kind of. You can still see it. The deer will at least get a mouthful of plastic if they're an issue. <laughs> It'll help prevent that snow load damage. So some of those things that are a little more time efficient, if this is yearly problem, you either need to replace the plants, as Mike is suggesting and Peggy suggesting, or find a different solution, or do a little preventative maintenance in the fall. So when spring rolls around and these late snowstorms or the heavy weather hits, your plants are protected as much as possible um, with the time you have available to intervene.
0: Uh and then it got me thinking, okay, that's spring and you roll with it. You just you get mm-hmm. snow, you get some cold and you can't, and, do, a you can't do a thing about it. You can't do a thing about it. You you know, be careful how early you set out your uh tropicals. Like I did, I had to get a bunch of them put back mm-hmm. indoors. But you know, as soon as it gets back into the, the 50s and 60s, I'm going to put them outside again because what I found about most of those tropicals, they can take it uh, temperatures down to 45. Uh, and they they do fine. It's not, it's really not going to hurt them. You just have to be aware of when it gets to 35. Then, (laughs) you know, there's, there's the difference. Uh, but the difference I was thinking is in June and July. So you're, yeah. yeah, So you're in June and July and now you're used to seventies, eighties, nineties. And suddenly it's going to be 45 at night. That's a, that's kind of a different story, isn't it?
6: You bet, and one of the plants that really I hear the most complaints about are tomatoes. So people, Mm -hmm. even if you wait till the soil's warm and the air's warm, you plant them out and you mention, so we have those cooler nights in June and early July, And you may get some brown spots on your tomatoes. It delays the harvest. And that's I think that's the one plant people invest effort in to try to get an earlier red ripe tomato off the plant. And so a lot of times I'll cover my plants, even though I wait till Memorial Day, I'll cover them with floating row cover or wrap the tomato tower with some floating row cover just to give them that added warmth. So when we have those cooler nights, the plants aren't stressed. And so I will get a good harvest at a reasonable time time frame rather than waiting till September 1st like we have some years mm-hmm. and that and it might be worth the effort for you there's lots of new innovative products wall mm-hmm. of waters have greatly improved Uh, Red tomato mulch will reflect some light, and that helps increase the productivity. So there are some things that if you really want to push a few plants and give that protection, that really works well. But you're absolutely right. Those cold nights or cold days in the middle of the summer really put a lot of stress on our plants and can cause some discoloration on leaves, can interfere with flowering. Um, you know, and growth as well.
0: And, and you mentioned floating row cover for, for people who are novices. What's a floating Eight. row cover?
6: Thank you. It's it's a product. It's a polypropylene spun product. It, if you sew or you look in the interfacing in the, your shirt, it looks like uh, interfacing. And so Pellon is what I used to we used to buy when I was sewing a lot. And it lets air light and water through, but it captures the warmth by the plants. And another good use of this. So that's great for jump starting the season, protects plants down most of them to 24 degrees. But I'll also use it um to keep cabbage worms off my cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, because the adults fly around, lay their eggs on these plants. The eggs hatch, those cabbage worms eat holes in our And our cabbage, when you're cleaning your broccoli, before you serve it, you might find that extra protein, hopefully, before you serve (laughs) it. And if you cover your plants and anchor it, it helps prevent the adult from laying their eggs. also great for Japanese beetles on bush beans because, again, the Japanese beetles fly in and land on the plants and do the damage. And beans don't need to be pollinated by bees. So you could cover those plants and keep the Japanese beetles off. You could do that with your basil as well to prevent damage so that you're not using chemicals and you're still having a good harvest and at least reducing the damage that those beetles are causing.
0: You know, you mentioned Japanese beetles. I I know, sorry. (laughs) No, no, that's okay. Uh, Folks need to, I've, I've had questions about that. Uh, and people say, well, how can I get rid of Japanese beetles? And I say, uh, they're here to stay, basically. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't. Uh, you can mitigate the damage, as you say, by putting a, a floating row cover on there, uh, or other strategies. I, I wouldn't spray anything. I've had entomologists tell me, why would you do that? They're only around for a few weeks and you're going to cause all kinds of collateral damage. So that's crazy. The best thing you can do if you're going to practice um, uh, IPM, which is integrated pest management, <laughs> I, I tell folks, okay, what do Japanese beetles like? They like roses, right? So if you're if you're going to follow IPM, uh, stop planting roses, okay? Just get rid of those suckers. Uh, now I know nobody's going to get rid of their roses, or but so you know I know people that'll have twenty roses in their backyard. Maybe you have three, uh, and maybe you don't have as serious a problem. But, but the point I was going to make, and you can comment on that in a second. The point I was going to make is that, you know, people say, well, you're in the city. It's tough growing in the city. You know what? I don't have Japanese beetles in the middle of Chicago. They do not come here. I don't know why. (laughs) I've seen very few. Hmm. And now that I've said that, of course, I'll get an infestation. I was going
5: to say, they're they're on their way now. (laughs) They're booking their tickets.
0: Uh, uh, Yeah. (laughs) I don't have rabbits. I don't have deer. And I know there are people in the city who have mm-hmm. rabbits. You've got rabbits. You're not in the city, but no, I have chipmunks. You have oh, that's right. You have I, chipmunks. The coyotes take care of the rabbits, but I have chipmunks. Ah, uh, and uh, I that's it. I mean, I've got the crazy squirrels who who do that <laughs> stuff, but um, uh, I don't have some of the problems that people in the outlying areas have. So I I I empathize, but I haven't had to deal with that.
6: You know, and a couple things too. Uh, Japanese beetles will feed on like it's either 3 or 500 different species mm-hmm. of plants. So, to think you're going to manage them totally is unrealistic as you mentioned, Mike. I was reading some research out of the University of Minnesota and they were finding if you manage early populations, so you, you know, usually you know when they usually come around for us, it's usually the middle of July. Mm-hmm. So, if I start watching in early July and I take care of that the first few I'm finding, they found that they Fewer of them follow into your garden, so they'll go elsewhere. Yeah. So they're not inviting their friends in. So right. and, and managing you can... early and a and I know it's putsy, but there's some sense of revenge. a Can <laughs> of soapy water, right? Yep. early in the day that's when they tend to congregate they're easy to find because as somebody points out that they eat and mate in broad daylight all day long easy to find so knock them into that can of soapy water easier on a rose or a hibiscus as opposed to a birch tree or a linden or a
0: linden right
6: right all right i gotta let's let's get to that
0: i gotta take care of this let let me take care of some business we'll get back to japanese beetles with melinda Myers. Uh, Folks, the the storm is over, and the Peterson Garden Project Cool Crop Plant Sale is just getting warmed up. From 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. today at City Grange, you can find veggies, herbs, and other heirloom, open-pollinated, and select hybrid plants that have been organically grown by local farmers. These babies are ready to go into your garden right now: lettuce, spinach, cabbage, snap peas, mint, oregano, onion, more. Head over to City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa. City Grange, united we blossom. Go into the woods on May 17th. That's the theme for Nature's Night Out to benefit the Evanston Ecology Center. Dress like a tree or in the color of the woods or get even more creative. Then show up on May 17th from 7 to 10.30 p.m. at 2024 McCormick Boulevard in Evanston. Fantastic food and beer, a DJ catering to requests, cool eco raffle prizes, beehive tours, and more. Go to
4: EvanstonEnvironment.org slash
0: Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Openlands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connection to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse the collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. Tree-stories.org. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Melinda Myers theme. Lived
2: most everywhere, from to Square. But
0: I've decided this is your, your theme song, Melinda.
6: Okay, I couldn't hear it, so. Oh, for some oh we're
0: playing the Patty Duke theme.
6: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that we played uh, last time. That's
6: identical uh, cousins. Exactly.
0: That there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. So that's now your sort of unofficial theme. That's,
6: okay, that's cool. That's I, for my, my childhood. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Patty
0: Duke
5: show. I haven't thought of that in years.
0: Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody has except me. Got this crazy and I music the here. theme
6: song. I can sing it. So that's uh, a sad statement on my life, too. <laughs> I,
0: I, as I've said many times on this show, I know the words to my mother, the car. So there you go. <laughs> okay. I, I, I you win. I win. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I want to real very quickly before we get back, because I want to ask a, a question about trees and cold here in a second. Um, and we mentioned the uh, Peterson Garden Project Cool Crop Plant Sale, which is on at City Grange today. Boy, they had snow yesterday, but you know what? The crowds are going to be there today because it's sunny. It's going to be 50. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the perfect time to get those veggies. Uh, the, uh, we, we, we broadcast live last week at City Grange. What a great place. Uh, 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa. Uh, there is valet parking on the weekends. How cool is it? Oh. Yeah, not only that, they, they're very much into the millennial thing. They deliver. They will deliver your plants. They're trying to get people to come up on mass transportation, do an order. It'll end up at your house. How cool. Oh, excellent. How... Isn't that a great idea? Plus,
6: they're providing early crops to grow, which they're hard to find, ready to go. You usually have to do seeds, and so that's wonderful.
0: Well, it's part of their connection with other not-for-profit organizations. In this case, uh, Peterson Garden Project, which has its plant sale every year. There's a cool plant Mm -hmm. sale now, and when's the hot plant sale? May 11th and 12th, Uh, provided
5: we don't have snow. Provided it's not (laughs) snowing in May.
0: Uh, And uh, and so they're working with Peterson Garden Project and some other groups like uh, Slow Food Chicago and uh, Get Growing Foundation. Right, and uh, Green City Market Mm -hmm. and uh, others. And so they're using their uh, retail space to help these other groups. And the uh, Peterson Garden project sale would be going on anyway and so now it's got a home at city grange so this is really really cool
6: that is wonderful all right great opportunity for gardeners new and experienced
0: you had a question from joey baird
6: joey baird is asking
5: uh he's going to be using weed cloth weed barrier for the first time this year what are some of the do's and don'ts with using uh, a weed cloth barrier
6: I'm guessing in his vegetable garden, since I would that's presume, their yes. Their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, weed barriers don't improve the soil, so that's always one thing to keep in mind. Um early in my career, I was an extension agent and started the Master Gardener program in Milwaukee County, and we had a gentleman that always used it in his vegetable garden with great success keeping the weeds down. He'd prepped the soil, used a lot of organic matter. Um, planted his vegetables, and then he would take it to the laundromat to wash it at the end of the season. Now, at that time, I was using the laundromat, so I wanted to make sure I wasn't (laughs) following him um, with that. But he had great success. Um, I'm a big believer in organic mulches just because I feel like our soils need everything we can use, do to improve them. So as long as you're doing soil prep before or after you know you remove it that's my, those are my concerns mike i'm sure you have some thoughts on it as well well actually what
0: i was i was uh looking at is a couple of other questions that that came in um uh, okay now of course oh. i lost and then, them and
5: then we had yes. well you're looking for that amos that's uh, those, says those he's, are the questions. he's yes. using newspaper to a, act as a weed barrier any thoughts Orcs.
0: yeah but but huh. no 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 but before you go to that look at the one right above that which i've i've like so, suddenly lost all those questions i do have one what? It was uh, no sheet mulch. Oh, just say no to sheet mulch. Right, and this is all <laughs> from Wayne. From Wayne, and and this is all of a piece. I mean, it's all kind of the same subject, right, Melinda? You know, if I and I know what Wayne's referring to. He's probably been to the Garden Professor's blog, and uh, Dr. Linda Chalker Scott is uh, is. Why some... are we hearing birds? I don't know. I I got there's birds. We're hearing.
6: <laughs> Okay, that is not me. Right. Not the whistling. Uh, My phone is not ringing. Birds. I, I off. have a
5: feeling
0: that's the over the hour sound effects. Yeah, the, something <laughs> like that. But there's birds in the in and and the mic's drooping. Stop drooping. Do stop doing that. Okay. Uh, I so, think the the garden. Linda, Doctor Linda Chalker Scott is always talking about how she doesn't believe in the sheet mulching, you know, even to suppress weeds, and she thinks it uh, hurts the biology of the soil oh. when you put stuff down.
6: In terms of the fabric mulches?
0: Uh, even, she's not a fan of cardboard either. Hmm.
6: Well, I, I'll i have to tell you, though, if you're fighting weeds on a large property,
8: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
6: Um, the cardboard eventually breaks down, and I've had good luck with I've had good luck doing newspaper and cardboard under organic mulches, because it helps provide that temporary breakdown. And Alinda, I respect her. She's a wonderful scientist and gardener. So I'm speaking from my experience and then also working with gardeners who are so frustrated trying to manage the weeds that I'd rather see someone use cardboard and newspaper than, especially if you're trying to avoid using a total vegetation killer, Uh, You know, I have three spruce trees that came with my property, lots of weeds. We cut the grass short, edged the bed. I threw down cardboard, threw wood chip mulch over top. And I haven't had, that's five years of weed control, Mm -hmm. five years. And honestly, there's no way I could have managed that area, given all the other priorities on my property, without using chemicals and
0: there it's, are um, you know I, I, just last year uh somebody had uh, out of control weeds in their backyard and i told her to solarize it uh, and
6: that's great if
0: yes you know because again you're not using. what is solarizing it's it's where you put plastic on and uh some people think it's black plastic but really the clear, clear clear plastic not black plastic um and you you fry basically mm-hmm. everything underneath. Unfortunately, it also fries the biology. But the bi- a lot of the biology can go down, you know, and and get out of the way. But again, this is something that uh, what Dr. Linda Chalker Scott says is she's just in uh, she likes mulch. She thinks you put like a a six to eight inch layer of mulch over everything, and then eventually that gets what you want without killing any of the biology below it. But that's that's her.
6: Well, and I I think, and you bring up a good point. Um, I'm a big fan of solarizing, and Kansas State University found six to eight weeks during the hottest part of your growing season, which is most of our growing season, right? So to really accomplish killing some of those disease organisms and perennial weeds, a friend of mine... What he did, he had great soils, he did a lot of composting, he'd prep his garden, he'd cover it with clear plastic for two weeks, a lot of those annual weeds would sprout, he'd lightly cultivate so he didn't bring more weeds up. Right. Then he planted, and he used organic mulches. So I think I, I think one of the challenges, we have so many different situations for growing and so many different schedules and experience that one of the things I try to do and I think you do too, Mike and Peggy, is try to give people options, the pros and cons. You're going to decide what you're going to do anyway. So let me help you see the pros and cons of the different various techniques. Some people are more willing to live with weeds. I have a very high tolerance for problems (laughs) in the Uh, garden. But I don't think all the people that come to me for answers <laughs> share that no. much.
0: Well, and, and let me just say, because we're going to run out of time here, let me just say that we have to learn, as you say, learn to tolerate some le- weeds, get over the brainwashing that has occurred over the last 60, 70 years in the media. And you know what I'm talking about. It's the chemical yep. companies who say if it's not perfect, then you're not doing it right. So Exactly. So use, exactly. use some of these other techniques and use your noodle, as Melinda says, uh, if you think that that's going to work for you, then go for it. it. You know, if it keeps you away from the chemicals, I'm happy. All right, that's All Melinda right. Myers. Go to Melinda M Y E R S dot com. Always a pleasure, Melinda.
6: Thank you, guys. It's a great way to start my day. Have a good one. Thanks. You
2: too. Captain's log, Stardate date 42326.1. The enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Warp. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak I'm familiar with his work Of course Attack of the Killer Asparagus Is required reading At Starfleet Academy Tell me more Mr. Data He has been variously compared to Mark Twain Dave Barry And Gwynok Of Ninglador Captain Shields are failing Thank you Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data Options Captain It seems to be available online At aroundtheblockpress.com What do they have to say? Hmm It appears that Mike Novak Is a slapstick every gardener Taking all our self delusions Mishaps and confusions And playing them for big laughs That's not the very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate.
3: Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak.
0: All I need is good food to eat. Make me healthy, wealthy, wide
9: awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good foodie. All I need is good food to eat.
0: Need is And good welcome food back to the Mike Novak food. show with Peggy Malecki give me all On a sunny day. Give me stuff that I a lot of that stuff's going to melt.
5: It's the sound of meltwater everywhere.
0: Everything's cool, folks. Everything's cool. Don't worry about it. Uh, in fact, you know what I was thinking about and we'll talk to a couple of folks in just a couple of minutes, uh, who were involved in a work day yesterday. Yesterday, the twenty-seventh of April, uh, a lot of work days were scheduled because this was uh Earth Day week and Arbor Day week. Uh and I get these notices all the time and everybody and their brother was out doing work days tomorrow or yesterday, and I'm wondering, hmm, were they really? <laughs> Uh, and uh, I wonder how much actually got done. I know one of them was an Indian Ridge event, and in uh, just a few minutes, we'll be talking to Paul Botts from the Wetlands Initiative and Terry Valenzuela uh, from the from Audubon Great Lakes about what's going on. We and we've talked a lot about what happens is goes on on the South Side, Southeast Side of Chicago, Calumet area. That sort of thing, um, as you know, very uh, degraded areas, uh, or is it de- degraded, uh, or both? Uh, and what, why don't you just tell me? <laughs> uh, oh, he had to run. That's okay. We were going to try to get Scott Jameson on the phone from Care Trees because one of the questions was about uh, it was from Rick DeMaio, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, about tree buds, and I, you know, I, I think it kind of depends on whether you got a cold whether we got a freeze here. I'm thinking in the Chicago area mm-hmm. uh, all those tree buds are fine.
5: Yeah, far western suburbs may have uh, who they
0: knows. They got down
5: to I was checking Naperville it was like 29 on on the weather app.
0: Yeah, we were, so I was kind of hoping to get uh uh Scott Jameson from Bartlett Tree Experts to talk about um what might fo- what folks might expect with the cold and and some of the tree, you know, maybe our next guests have some information, <laughs> but I figure get a certified arborist uh, on board, and and maybe Skeet is listening because he's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks. Um, I, we're, we've got more Bartlett tree experts, uh, and you know what I'm going to try to do with that? I want to get the uh, tree guy from um, KOTA. Oh yeah, Dave Johnson.
9: Dave Johnson,
0: the tree guy. Um, Where we our show is on uh, KOTA in Rapid City, South Dakota, and there that one of their major sponsors is. Uh, Johnson Tree Care, um, and that's an area where Bartlett is not available. So I thought let's let's get the tree guy Dave Johnson and Skeet here in the studio to compare notes on the stuff they see um, in their various mm-hmm. areas. You know, that's the Black Hills. Yes, um, and I'm sure they're dealing with uh, some of the same trees, but a lot of different trees, and I, it would be kind of interesting to hear what concerns are there. So I'm going to. Try to get a hold of Dave Johnson. The tree guy. Tree guy. Um, I see you put this out. Let's remind people that we are not just on fifteen ninety anymore. Where this is not your mother's radio station, AM radio station, it's also an FM station, right? Yes, 959 FM. So uh WCGO is now in fact they even changed the Facebook page I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Uh I couldn't find it last week. Nobody The actual name of the Facebook page has changed too, yes. I know it. And Nobody told me, and there I was trying to find it. And I was like, "We don't exist anymore." WCGO but. Radio. It's now WCGO Radio, um, but on fifteen ninety AM, ninety five nine FM, and the, it's a small FM uh, signal. Uh, reaches basically Evanston, a little bit north, a little bit south, um, uh, west a bit, west a yeah. bit. So, um, so if you, if if, uh, and you know, and, and I've had people. Asked me recently on Facebook, and I am i don't know if they're watching right now, I asked some of them to listen to us on Facebook because they say, well, I used to listen to you when you were on that other station, um, Progresso Radio, like the soup. And um, uh, I say, well, why don't you just listen on your smartphone? I mean, it's not hard these days. Basically, you just go to Facebook because we stream live every week on Facebook and if you're driving in a car, you sit it on the seat next to you and you listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Or, or in my case, I'm a little more sophisticated. I figure out ways to plug it in yeah. so you can hear it on the radio. But you don't even have to jump through hoops of fire to do that. Or you can go on TuneIn. Uh, or the TuneIn app. and You, you can, can and it's so- stream
5: live off of the Mike Novak Show. And if you're watching live on Facebook, if you are watching us either from the Mike Novak Show on Facebook or now called WCGO Radio on Facebook, have a watch party. Share it with your friends. You can share this live. You can do a watch party. You can do it later.
0: Yeah. Uh, And it's, and that what I don't get is uh, folks say, well, I can't catch you on the radio. I'm like, you got a cell phone. It, that is a radio now. Mm -hmm. It's, if you got a smartphone, you got a radio in your hand, and it's really easy to make it work as a radio. So, uh, just uh, yeah. either stream a simple the face. radio
5: app. There's a lot of different apps that you can pull it up on. TuneIn's the easiest one; it's free.
0: And I guess we need to post that uh, on the the website. Explain how people use their phones as uh, radios, but it it really is easy. We got 30
5: seconds. One more, one more pitch here. Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Oh, open. Th-
0: that's right. We are open for business. We're taking applications. Go to Chicago org, and uh, and you can get, if you live in the city of Chicago, and uh, you can get your garden registered for an award. We've given out more than 100 in the last three uh, two years. This is our third year, so we're very excited about that. Or, uh, or on Facebook at Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Thanks for mentioning that. All right, Indian Ridge Marsh is next. When you want the best science for your trees, go to Bartlett Tree Experts. They pioneered Integrated Pest Management, or IPM, in the 1970s, introduced the first organic fertilizer, and now Bartlett is the first and only tree care company to research the benefits of biochar on urban soils and tree health. Put science to work for your trees. Get a free estimate today. Every tree needs a champion. Go to bartlett.com.
5: Want to put more life into your backyard soil? The folks at Blazing Star Nursery were amazed at how biologicals from a company called Tinyo helped transform a barren former cornfield to a vibrant native landscape. And now they recommend those products to home gardeners. Tineo's microbial, mycorrhizal fungi and enzymes can be used on all types of crops to improve plant health and overall production. Go to blazing-star.com. And while you're there, check out their pollinator packets.
2: If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contractor. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better.
5: Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. We're also at thegreendivas.com and on the Gab Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. Sign up for posts in our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for their logos and specials at mikenovak.net.
2: When you touch my hand and you talk sweet talk I get a knocking in my knees and a wobble in my walk And I'm trembling And I'm
4: shaking
0: Yeah, we're all shaking. It's just because it was so cold yesterday. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. As you know, on this show, uh, over the past several years, thanks to some some good people who have introduced me um and i guess peggy to mm-hmm. to the south side of chicago mainly the southeast side of chicago there's some great organizations down there doing great work like southeast environmental task force and um uh some of the folks uh, associated with that we know that the south side of chicago has had its problems over the years uh it's uh A lot of industry. Yeah, look at that. A lot of industry has really messed up the the area. And now folks have figured it out Um, and they're saying, you know, you know, and as some of this industry dies, um, we're finding out ways to reclaim some of the land that was polluted and degraded uh, over decades Over decades, just amazing stuff. As a matter of fact, uh, we've got a couple of people in the room right now who are working on that. Paul Botts is the president and executive director of the Wetlands Initiative. um, And uh, Terry Valenzuela is the stewardship program associate for Audubon Great Lakes. Welcome to the program, both of you. Thank you so much. Glad to be here.
8: Thank you very much.
0: And okay, now the first uh, your first task today is to identify this call. What frog is that? That's what... Tree frog. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a wooden frog, that's for sure. You <laughs> <make> that. <laughs> he wins the prize. Uh, uh, and Paul wrote to me a little while ago and he says, you know, well, there's a lot of stuff going on south side, which I was aware of. But he said uh, Indian Marsh is a particularly interesting area and we're, we're doing some stuff there. So, uh, And in honor of that, and we'll get to the book that uh, Peggy brought in. I can't believe she has that uh that that book there uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but tell us about the work at Indian Ridge It's part of a a larger initiative along uh in the Calumet area, the Calumet wetland working group uh you've got a lot of partners, some of them are as we mentioned the wetlands initiative uh Audubon Great Lakes, Chicago Park district field museum nature Conservancy what 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 was the latest one I saw the soybean. Uh, well, we'll talk about that.
9: Yes, okay. the, so our good I, friends, like, the Illinois Soybean Association, yeah, are now becoming part like, of that. And, yes. and wow. <laughs> I have to admit that I was – I went, what? Okay, I got to hear yeah, this story. Yeah, I went you know looking, looking
5: them up right away. Yeah, yeah.
9: well, they're going to play a particular role. So the broader partnership and, – and, Mike, I know you know that uh, for decades, literally decades, these sites uh, down there around the former and still existing but much altered Lake Calumet in particular – Have been on conservation wish lists, plans. um, Sure. Going back literally to the 80s and uh, on paper in a very specific way from the 90s. Yeah. Um, And a lot of public ownership of a lot of these sites. The public, the specifics of the public ownership in terms of which agency of the state or the city owns them has kind of changed. um, And it's kind of background at this point. But what's happened is that a coalition of partners has really gotten active in realizing those hopes and dreams for some of those sites. Audubon Great Lakes Wetlands Initiative are particularly partnering at a couple of key sites, starting with Indian Ridge Marsh. There's others who have been hard at work for years on some of the sites around there. And what we're mainly talking about, and the particular program that Terry is really leading on, is at Indian Ridge Marsh with getting the community involved. That's actually the biggest change that's happening in 2019 is really ramping up the community engagement at that particular site for the work that we're doing, of how people can come and help and participate. And that is actually what Terry is leading on within our partnership. From what
0: I saw, this kind of uh, got going around 2016, right, is where you sort of started putting this all together. And so actually, uh, given that time frame, it's moving pretty quickly. You know, when, when you consider, as Paul said, you've had decades of abuse of the land, so it's good to see that folks are 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 getting together to to change that and as I mentioned uh, in my blog you can go to mikenovak.net to find it you you have to take it from uh, a site on a map to a site where people go and do things and that's I assume Terry what you're up to
8: Absolutely. And I think what should be mentioned is that these areas were really rich areas of biodiversity. Mm -hmm. Um, The Calumet region used to be over 45,000 acres of marsh and uh, wet prairie. And so it wasn't up until about 25 years ago that there started to be really big declines of some of our bird species, in particular our secretive marsh bird species. And so that's really what drove Audubon to get involved, was to focus on uh, restoring hemi-marsh habitat, which is a mix of submerged, emergent, and floating vegetation within a wetland system.
0: And and I'm going to stop you there because I imagine most people have no idea what a hemi-marsh is.
8: Yes, right, right, absolutely. Um, And, you know, uh, even just to go back to the most basic of what a wetland system is, Mm -hmm. um, so a wetland system is, you know, a landscape that's defined by water. Um, So these areas can be in... Uh, Depressions, they usually consist of upland and lowland areas, Um, but these are really... very important habitats for birds, and in particular, like I mentioned, uh, the secretive marsh bird species. And this is what, <laughs> and if anyone well, is wondering... Well, they're
0: secretive because they're in the marshes. People don't generally walk around in marshes unless they're <laughs> they're doing restoration or photography or something like that. But yeah, I imagine a lot of the birds go unnoticed in those areas.
8: Right. And and these hemi marsh habitats, which again are, are the floating emergent and submerged vegetation within a wetland system, they um, They are important habitat and food sources for these birds. These are birds like the pied-billed grebe and the leaf spittern. And um, these are birds that are called secretive because you usually hear them. um, You rarely see them. Um, But that's a reason why Audubon got involved in these uh, these areas. But um, as I was recently reminded of in a conference that I attended, um, if you if you uh improve habitat for the birds um you are also improving these habitat and spaces for um people for water um <laughs> well, for everyone that comes right. to use these right you know sites.
0: you start the, you start the chain it uh, the plants and the insects and the birds and the mammals and ult- ultimately human beings um frankly sometimes uh we we make too much of how we make it human friendly. Maybe we should make it friendly to some of the other critters first, and then we'll figure out how we can <laughs> mm-hmm. add humans on top of that. You know, I, what I was interested in is the black crowned night herons that you talk about. And what surprised me was that until recently they had, there had been more of them in the area and I, and I would have thought, well, you know, Uh, the industry would have wiped them out long ago. So what changed recently that the Black Crown Night Herons disappeared, and was that a uh, canary in the coal mine saying, we really need to fix this?
9: Well the comp- the story of these sites and and we're talking about Indian Ridge Marsh but this applies to that whole cluster of sites down there so places like Big Marsh, Hegwish Marsh and Lissingen some others that you Powderhorn that you mm-hmm. may be familiar with we went to the into. Big Marsh um a couple of years ago Yeah. Yeah,
0: and and saw the ramps are putting the bike ramps and well, all Well that's off. at one particular spot in <laughs> I, Big know, Marsh. I know I yeah, know that yeah, but it's yeah. but but that's part of making them user friendly right. it's like friendly so people can associate
9: with it and say, hey, I go to Big Marsh to do X, Y, or and at Z. at the
5: same time, they can still see the right. marsh and the wildlife. And
9: they're going to go on a different trail for mm-hmm. different purposes. Yeah. So the history there is a little more complex in the sense that when you reference the Industrial Age, okay, so these sites were significantly altered, but to widely varying degrees. Some of them were literally built on. Um, And then the either the coke ovens or the steel mills or whatever, different things at different sites eventually later went away. And in some cases, they've been cleared. In some cases, they haven't. It's a whole mess. Other sites, though, like Indian Ridge Marsh, for example, was never actually built on, but it was used, uh, part of it, a lot of it, was used as a dumping site for um, this thing called slag, which Mm -hmm. is inert. It's not toxic, but it's not nice, and it doesn't belong there, and it Mm -hmm. ruins the soil and so forth. And then there's other sites like Hegwish Marsh, which were purchased by industry and set aside. They always intended to build on it, never got around to it. So there's like varying degrees and types of the degradation. And which
0: inadvertently saved some of those areas,
9: Inadvertently right? saved some of those areas, though much altered, and the hydrology's right. all messed up, which is critical for the wetlands and so forth. So that's all, you know, 50, 100, 150 years ago. But then more recently, what Terry referenced is, and what you're talking about with the Black crowned Night Herons, is there were sites like Indian Ridge Marsh which had thriving colonies, in that case, a thriving nesting colony of black-ground night herons. And then they started going away. And the issue seems to be invasives, a fresh wave of invasives. Uh So that is literally the canary in the coal Mm -hmm. mine for that issue at these sites.
5: And what types of invasives?
9: Well, in this case, things like Phragmites. Mm -hmm. It's just when we – our crews went in there 2016, Terry, 2016 or 17 growing season – Started, we had to clear out a lot of literal junk, like literally hunks of old cars and tires. They, just I mean, people had yeah. for decades been using it just as a wildcat local dumping site. Yeah. Right?
0: Sometimes uh, back in the day, bodies. You know, well, we
9: didn't find any of those. Although I will <laughs> I say, for my seat, I was a little relieved that we didn't find yes. any of those. But never mind. Um But they certainly found. I mean, literally, a field of fragmites taller than any of us. I mean, you know, just as vast. Yeah, well, stuff.
5: we we you saw know. that driving into Big Marsh. Well, There's you see it the everywhere, on everywhere. everywhere. You
0: see yeah. it. Uh, when did? Phragmites really become an issue in the United States?
9: I am told, and neither Terry or I are the the plant uh, uh, ecologists on this, but what I'm told is that it arrived in the eastern U.S. about 20, it gets to be about 25 years ago now and during the 90s, and um, that it had worked its way west.
0: My goodness, that's fast. It is fast. Because uh, I'm sure a lot of folks... Who drive the area look go? Hey, look at those lovely native grasses. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, no, if they're all they all look the same and they're all waving in the breeze at the same time, you can pretty and they're much really tall. And they're in the ditch. That's sort of a giveaway. That's fragmites, yes. and it's it crowds out everything else around. So, how do you get rid of fragmites? Oh boy.
9: <laughs> Slowly and painfully. Yeah. Terry, you want to talk about how the crews attack that?
8: Absolutely. Well, you have to use a variety of different methods um, and different approaches, and it's really all about partnering on the work. So we work really closely with the Wetlands Initiative and with the Chicago Park District in order to carry out the work. So we split up work as our crews allow it, um, and we also use the benefit of volunteer events like our Indian Ridge Marsh Community Stewardship events. There you go. And we have yes, uh, yes. There's the <laughs> calendar.
0: Yeah, yeah. Peggy uh, printed up this wonderful, uh, and you can find this uh, on my my blog, Mike at uh, at dot net. It is the 2019 Indian Ridge Marsh Community Stewardship Events, and you've got something just about, and sometimes a couple of times a month. Uh, and there are a dozen events right here on this page, and that's that's the key, isn't it? It's like just keep bringing people back to the area so that they'll get involved, right?
8: Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's definitely a journey. Um, you know, we are still learning the area, and we're still learning, you know, what, what works for this particular site, what works for the community. So we've included a variety of different events where um, nature can meet people where nature meets them. Um, we can set you up on a bird walk. We can set you up on a native planting day, on Mm -hmm. an early season seed collecting.
0: I was noticing, all right, uh, and uh, uh, Paul just handed me the sheet about the events coming up Saturday, May 25th, which is not very long from now. International
8: Migratory Bird Day.
0: Right, and you're going to have a beginner's bird walk, right? Is that right?
8: Yes, that will be led by our Director of Conservation, Nat Miller. And he will lead us on a bird walk. Binoculars will be provided to all participants. And then that will be followed by a native planting where we will be actually going into some of these wet prairie areas and planting in important wetland species, um, certain sedges, in order to give it, um, you know, a wide variety of experiences for individuals and also learning opportunities and as see, well. see, that's
9: critical. I want to jump in and say what what Terry just said and that strategy that Terry and her team are following with these community engagement work this year is that there's different entry points. So you don't have to come down and commit to spending three or four hours of your Saturday getting all hot and sweaty collecting seed or planting plugs. <laughs> no, really, you know. That can be fun. We we love that. It is fun. But there's not everybody's used to that. Not everybody's ready for that. Not everybody everybody's physically able to do that. But so you'll see on this schedule, very deliberately, there are different levels. You can just come down and take a walk. <laughs> walk around behind a great guy like Nat who knows the bird's cold and he'll tell you what what's this stuff is. Or you can do the big thing. You can do it all. Whatever you want to do, that's very deliberate. We want to get more people engaged at this site.
8: And Uh, in in addition to that, we also have a free bus pickup and drop-off that is sponsored by That's what you're
9: holding in your hand, Mike, is that new aspect this year. Your ride is here.
0: Yeah. Is this where the— This is—so
9: I'm going to read my—here's—we're going to talk about our friends, the Soybean Association. So they are sponsoring these buses It's three particular dates— We have multiple pickup points that Terry has arranged. We've got public libraries on the south side as far north as Hyde Park. Mm -hmm. uh, Bridgeport Coffee in Hyde Park. Shout out to Mike Pilkington for providing that. And uh, the Illinois Soybean Association checkoff program is sponsoring that free transportation to and from Indian Ridge Marsh volunteer site. Uh, Volunteers can catch a ride multiple locations. And these are biodiesel-fueled buses. That's important, too. So why does that matter? It's a renewable, cleaner-burning fuel And the people who provide the buses and provide the biodiesel are donating all that. So they're not charging us. Good
0: for them. I'm glad you've got that buy-in. All right. We're going to talk more uh, about this with Paul Botts and Terry Valenzuela. But first,
5: The snowstorm is over. The sun's out. It's shining. And the Peterson Garden Project cool crop plant sale is just getting warmed up. So today, from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. at City Grange, you can find veggies, herbs, and other heirloom open-pollinated and select hybrid plants that have been organically grown by local farmers. These plants are ready to go into your garden right now. They're cool crops like lettuce, spinach, cabbage, snap peas, mint, oregano, onion, nasturtium, and much, much more. So head on over to City Grange, preferably after we're off the air. Um,
0: do it now. You can go
5: now. Listen to us in go, the car. Put go, in tune it. Right, go right now. Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, fifty five hundred Northwestern Avenue, and that's at Catalpa City Grange. United we blossom.
0: Yeah, and if you were itching to get your, you know. This, the snowstorm's done, so now you plant stuff, and you could plant in the ground today. Really, don't worry about it, especially if you've got cool season veggies or maybe plugs for your native plants. You mm-hmm. never know. This might be a time to do it. All right. More about Indian Ridge Marsh when we come back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki.
1: Did you know air pollution from road transportation costs about $1 trillion a year in health care? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Yes, now is the time to consider buying an electric vehicle, also known as an EV. It's a great way to start to break our addiction to fossil fuels. Even with gas prices below $2.50 per gallon, you can save from $400 to $1,000 a year on fuel costs. The price of EVs has come down considerably, and there are generous federal and state tax incentives. Who doesn't want to reduce health risks and greenhouse gases, save money, and drive a space-age cool car? I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and, of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green.
0: This is Mike Novak. Serious and even not so serious gardeners in the Chicago area know that there's a year-round resource that always comes in handy, Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region, and it's packed with information about plants indoors and out. Every issue contains insightful articles by gardening pros, fantastic photos, science, and more. With features like what to do in the garden, design tips, and Chicagoland natives, you're going to be ready to grab a trowel and dig. Even I have a column in the inside back page of every issue. It's practically fact-free, and I'm proud of it. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to ChicagolandGardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to Gardening.com or call 888-265-3600. don't have time to listen to the whole song. I'll be
5: singing that song all day.
0: I know. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh We're very pleased to have Paul Botts from the Wetlands Initiative and Terry Valenzuela from Audubon Great Lakes in the studio. We're talking about Indian Ridge Marsh. We could go on for a long time about this because there's a lot of information out there, and it's, it's really good to see this activity happening in an area that deserves it because you alluded to this earlier terry and i don't th- i th- i don't know some folks know this some folks don't know this because of the location it's at the confluence of the the oaks the oak forest and the prairie and savannah areas and the great lakes this confluence of all these areas makes this so rich in biology uh in a way that very few areas in the world are Um, And yet, this is where industry
9: settled. And And it's Mm
5: -hmm. in the city of Chicago. It's
9: yes. not suburban. S- some of it yep. is. And some In this of it case, it is, yeah. just barely. But, yes. Yes. yeah, yeah, it is literally the far reaches of the city. So
0: your goal is to bring back some of that activity, that biological activity. And what we've learned over the years is that if you create it, they will come. We, it, and it seems like a miracle. It's hard to imagine that could happen. But we've seen it before where you take an area and you restore it and suddenly those critters are back. Um, And I'm hoping the same thing happens here. Um, now, one of the things that I wrote about and that you wrote about, and Peggy brought in a book about, and this is almost a kind of a, a side project, but it's one of the events mm-hmm. that's uh, going to happen at uh, Indian Ridge Marsh uh, this year in August. Something called Thysmia Americana. Yes. All right. Thysmi- and. and <laughs> You likened it to a snipe hunt.
9: <laughs> I oh whoa 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 whoa. No, 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 he quoted I someone. I did not personally <laughs> okay. liken it to a snipe hunt. All right, all right. Certain ecologists of my acquaintance. <laughs> I have likened it to a snipe. Yes. All right, I will you're off the hook.
0: Uh but but be, because it's this plant. Well not maybe not even a plant, which hard. it's hard to tell. Yes, it's a plant. Is a, a plant? Okay. All right. It's barely a plant. <laughs> it barely exists. I mean, but it's related to, to or has a, a fungal uh, friends who who helped it grow. And the only reason we know about this is because it was collected in 1912, was seen for four years, and was never seen again. And I would question that, except that there are samples of it in the Field Museum, right? Yes. All right. Thysmia Americana. Who wants to
9: describe what Thysmia Americana is? Well, why don't you describe the plant, Terry, and then I'll talk a little bit about the history of it, because that's actually got a connection to the modern work at the Cayumet. All right.
8: Definitely. So, uh, Thysmia americana. It was originally discovered, again, like you said, 1912 by Norma Etta Pfeiffer. Um, it is a who, plant who
0: lived to be a hundred years old, yes, by the way. Yes, she certainly yes. did.
8: Yeah. Um, and it is no bigger than your thumbnail, and it was originally found actually right at Torrance and 119th Street, which is directly. On Indian Ridge Marsh,
0: right property. there. He's, Paul's pointing to it at, on the map that he brought.
8: So that's where um, we are having this event. But we are certainly not the first uh, individuals or group of individuals well, this to put on go- the event.
9: The, the hunt for thymia has been going on since about 1991, right? Actually, there was well, there was some professional attempts at it in the 50s uh, by ecologists, okay, um, which didn't succeed. But <laughs> the first public hunt with volunteers, which is what we're doing this year. It happened in nineteen ninety one and there's a little bit of a story there, which Terry and I only heard for the first time at a meeting from a couple of the people who were involved. so you will remember that in nineteen eighty nine Richard M. Daley was elected mayor uh-huh. and one of his very first ideas, public big ideas, was to pave much of what we're talking about for a third airport. Remember that yes. the Calumet <laughs> yes. airport remember that yes, yes, and uh Mayor Daley was by all accounts legitimately astonished to discover at that point, that there were places like Hagwish Marsh and Indian Ridge Marsh that people like us cared about and thought had potential. He had no idea. But I mean, I know people who, who were literally the people who explained this to him. And one of the bright ideas that some folks had at that time was to, as to bring publicity, to bring awareness to these sites, was to stage in 1991 the first uh, thismia hunt that it recruited a whole bunch of people as volunteers, <laughs> and they did this, and it worked. The Tribune sent out a reporter, and there was I have this story here with this headline: "Botanists Come Crawling to Find Tiny Rare Plant," which gives you an idea of the tone of the coverage. Uh, but it was beautiful coverage <laughs> as, and, as, as they <laughs> sneered the bit, headline yeah. out. Yeah, uh, but it was a big, beautiful story, and it helped. It helped. Um, Mayor Daly did drop the idea, and a lot of things have changed instead. And then Mayor Daly, but, but he himself, didn't drop it because of thismia. No, he dropped it because of a lot of things, including this right. to, uh, and, and other issues. But then to finish the story, he personally really came around. He actually became a big champion of these sites and of the Calumet. He appointed people and created a whole team to work on it. There was a big plan in the 1990s that the city did that we all follow to this day. Right. So and, like and I can remember
0: in the aughts uh, before he up and decided not to run for office again, mm-hmm. there was some real activity going on. People were very excited about the region. Uh, and then uh, several things happened. We had a, uh, the uh, the economy crash yep, and we got a new mayor and, and these things have a way of happening. And it takes a long time to get them ramped up. Uh, but now it sounds like this is happening again. And people now every year go hunting for Thysmia americana,
9: right? Well, not in an organized way every year. When was the last one? Uh, the sixteen, last one was I think.
0: Twenty sixteen. Yeah. Oh, was... I
9: thought it was every year. Hmm, well, nope. Come
0: on, you got to make it an annual. It no, no. gotta...
9: you... Takes a lot of organization <laughs> and yeah. some training, and
0: but... you have to crawl on your belly like a reptile well, well, in, no. in the mud. Hunt it down. Uh, what?
8: You have to hunt it down. Yeah, well, exactly. you got to Well, the reason why it has such a great pull it's it's because it's the only endemic species to Illinois. So um, it's only been found here
0: in this genus.
8: Exactly the the species.
0: Oh, this the species here, like, but the genus is found. Oh yeah, there's uh, other. It's closest it has, relative but, is cousins, actually found
8: yes. um, in you know parts of Australia, New Zealand.
0: Right, exactly, and <laughs> folks are trying to figure out how the heck did this get here? Right. Why was it only discovered? You know, and and again, I would look back and say uh, this has got to be a myth, except that you have samples of it in a museum, so it obviously was yeah. here. But
9: it was fragile and uh, in a very small area, obviously. And you also have people – I have here a journal article from Gerald Wilhelm just a couple years ago who's you know, the dean, the guru of plant ecology in our region today. And uh, this is an article – there are skeptics, you're right. But this is an article from him defending it and talking about (laughs) that it's not, in fact, a hoax and so forth. Um, We haven't found it yet. We hope we do. And I'm here to tell you that if you come out and volunteer and you are the person that finds it – Okay, you are going to be on the front page of every newspaper we've ever heard of. This is the Wall Street Journal in 1916. That's a, f- I mean, uh, 1916, listen to 2016. me. 2016. That is a front page yeah. article and story from the last hunt. So there's your payoff, yeah. folks. Come help us find this thing on August 4th, which is on that schedule that you mentioned. Seems had in like front a
8: remote you. broadcast.
9: Yeah. Uh,. <laughs>
8: And well, In addition uh, to the hunt itself, I think we are trying to incorporate um, some other ideas and aspects that were not previously incorporated in other hunts. Um, we want to have an open question-and-answer discussion forum where we will have experts, volunteers, community members discussing the Calumet region, why this region is important, why is this MIA Americana gone, and, you know, what well, can we do? Well, basically,
0: they, they plopped a farm or, or a, a structure on the area where it was originally found, right? Right. Right. Or well, a lot it of slag or both. Slag or, yeah, that, whatever.
8: And it uh, there were huge uh, restoration projects that uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers carried out at Indian Ridge mm-hmm. Marsh as well, starting in 2011. So, you know, the areas that, you know, we may have found may have been capped by soil. Uh-huh. So, right.
9: um,
8: however, uh, one person who has really helped us get, this uh, particular thismia hunt going is Linda Masters and she told us this incredible, incredible story where um, her and a couple of other experts, they actually spread out these little white beads no bigger than the size of Thismia and they spread them out at these different sites where you could find Thismia americana and what they wanted to prove was that even though we couldn't find th- they spread out these beads and only about 36 of the beads yeah, were low found a
9: yeah
8: um, there's still those 500 50 beads that are still out there so even though we may not find it it doesn't mean it's not there and it's so small you don't see it
0: absolutely it's it's likely to be under a leaf or wedged in Uh, you know um i saw the uh you you told me to look at the video and it was urban nature Mm -hmm. which is because we've had the urban Mm -hmm. nature folks on the show we had a couple weeks ago yeah yeah, and uh and uh, they went out to the south side and the guy's like picking up every rock and piece of plywood and plastic and said, I'm going to find stuff under here. And he's right. This is where you discover right. stuff. Yeah. It's, it's hiding. A lot of the stuff is hiding.
9: Nature but, adapts. Yeah. 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 But and, uh,
5: You know, you were going back to the hopes. That's why I went and, and dug out floor of the Chicago Region, which is a 1927 book. I was like, is it going to be included in here? And it is.
0: It's and in there. It's you, you've in got it here. bookmarked. You could yeah, it's,
5: it's actually item 544. It's a sedgy swamp associated with Selaginella apis near Lake Calumet. It's a remarkable discovery, quote, no related plants within many hundreds of miles, the genus never before found in America. Actually,
9: thousands of miles. Thousands from, of miles, From
5: yeah. Dr. Coles. And it says, quote, the type plant is in the Field Museum Herbarium.
9: As it is to this day. Yeah. Uh, and I
0: have it's to,
5: listed in the orchid family in here.
0: Uh, <laughs> Ellie, I don't know if you have a chance. Come in here for a second. I wanted to, because you mentioned, yeah, she doesn't want to do this, but I, I want her in here. But what you're pointing out here. With the Thysmia, uh, and, and you've got all these other, I don't want to overshadow everything with Thysmia Americana, but it's sexy, okay? And this is how you draw. It's marketing. And and why why shouldn't our wetlands be marketed and, and get people out exactly. there and excited about being part of it? And r- the reason I bring it in, Ellie, because your first paying job was working.
5: Hop on over by the mic Just here. Just, just <laughs> right lean here.
0: into the mic. <laughs> Tell us real quick. Do I sound okay? Yeah, you're you're fine. You
4: sound wonderful. So it was the summer of 2017. Um, I just graduated from Loyola. I was looking for just a basic ecological restoration job to get my feet wet. I actually applied for a job at Audubon Great Lakes. Feet wet. She said. Feet feet wet. wet. Um, Terry interviewed me, offered me the job, um, but there was an issue with transportation just because the Calumet region is so far (laughs) in Indiana and I didn't have a car at the time. So she set me up with another group, the Student Conservation Association, which works in partnership. I did end up taking the job with the SCA and I um, spent that summer doing a lot of restoration work. So
0: there's a success story right there. <laughs> in our in our studio, and I wanted, uh, I, I just thought, you know, when when Ellie told me that, I said, well, we got to mention that yeah. on the air. So, all right, if folks want to get involved, what is the best way to do that? They can go see my blog, but where else do you want people to go?
8: Well, I think one of the first places, um, definitely the Audubon Great Lakes website. It's org. And um, also our Facebook page. So, Audubon, uh, excuse me, <laughs> mm-hmm. Facebook.com uh, forward slash Audubon Great Lakes. And Audubon then- and Great Lakes. And if you Lakes.
9: Google, I, I won't recite our whole long URL, but if you Google the Wetlands Initiative in Chicago, you will find our website and you'll find all this linked. Mm-hmm. And we look forward to seeing everybody out there. And I've got the uh, calendar on my website. So, thank you both, Paul
0: and Terry. This is really cool. We'll, we'll keep us posted on this, all right? All right, maybe so we'll much. see you out there. <laughs> This is Mike Novak. Are you ready to take your indoor gardening to the next level? You need to download the Anywhere, Anytime Garden booklet from HappyLeafLED.com. You'll learn about lighting and troubleshooting and get advice from the pros about starting your seeds. Go to HappyLeafLED.com and click on the microphone to download the beta version. Your suggestions might be used in the final publication. HappyLeafLED.com. Your seedlings will thank you.
5: Go into the woods on May 17. That's this year's theme for Nature's Night Out benefit the Evanston Ecology Center. Dress like your favorite woodland critter or in the color of the woods or get creative. Then show up on May 17 from 7 to 10.30 p.m. at 2024 McCormick Boulevard in Evanston. Fantastic local food and beer, a DJ catering to requests, cool eco raffle prizes, beehive tours, and more. Go to evanstonenvironment.org party.
0: Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Openlands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connection to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse the collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. tree-stories.org. Yeah, we're doing a roots rock show today. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. Before we go to meteorologist Rick DeMaio who's got a lot to talk to us about. Um I had uh, one more thing that Terry, I mentioned uh, during the break. Those of you listening on Facebook probably heard it. Uh, You had a work day yesterday, and it was snowing and raining, and yet you had a bunch of people show up, didn't you?
8: Well, I wouldn't exactly say a bunch of people, but (laughs) we had some uh, dedicated volunteers who came out. Um, We collected trash along 122nd Avenue and... uh, we were quite successful. We have pictures to prove it. How many and, bags did you collect? <laughs> um, roughly eight bags of trash. Oh, um, wow. And, you know, we got the thumbs up and the honks from the truck drivers that are going through this uh. industrial area just to <laughs> let us know that they supported our work. So that was a good feeling. So
0: you, there's lots you can do. You can pick up trash. You can plant, put plants in. You can um, uh, chop buckthorn. Seed and
9: collecting is seed collecting, a big thing. Yep.
0: And? Get on your belly and look for thismia yep. america while you're out there. Yep. While you're out yeah. there, all right. Let's go to meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Rick, uh, thank you for the last couple of days. What, oh, he's not, he's not here.
2: Uh, he hung up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, hung uh, uh, so. uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just like the, uh, the way you said that, Andrews. Uh, uh, he left. He hung up. He hung up. Okay, great. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have him uh, right back. Uh, well, we, you guys get a couple, you get bonus time here. Uh, what else did uh, we not get to really quickly that uh, you want to discuss? I know, Paul, you're never at a loss for words. So,
9: <laughs> Wow, I get that a lot. Uh, <clears throat> I wonder why. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would just emphasize to everybody that these Calumet sites, uh, which most of which, by the way, the ones we're working on are now owned by the Chicago Park District. Mm-hmm. So the specifics of the ownership have changed. And that's a partner we haven't mentioned and we probably should talk about in a minute because the Chicago yes. Park District in the last decade or so has become a restoration agency. You've all seen the Burnham Prairie along mm-hmm. Lakeshore mm-hmm. Drive. They have other sites they're working on. This is part of that. So you were talking about the conflict between human uses. Sometimes it is a conflict between human uses and the kind of restoration we're trying to do. The park district is w- right on top of the curve in balancing that. Very interested in that. Um, they're very supportive of this, and that balance is what we're striving for. And and they are very much a partner in that.
0: Uh, and it's something you don't you don't think about. That's right. But uh, uh, it's, as as
9: yeah. the park district, you're thinking it's. Baseball fields yep. and and they uh, haven't stopped doing those things. They no, would be they the first haven't. to say this is a balancing act. Well, we've we've
0: done some work with the park district. Uh, and it certainly, uh, here's another thing: our Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. The park district mm-hmm. has is partnering with us to get the word out all over the city to gardeners to to mm-hmm. enter those awards. And we've got the Forest Preserve District of Cook County, which you
5: also work with. Absolutely,
0: yes. right. So uh, I think that's a really good point that some of the what we consider traditional uh, administrative groups are now venturing out into
9: restoration as well in uh, in other areas. And this is true. um, So Audubon Great Lakes, who Terry works for and the Wetlands Initiative, who I work for, we are also partnering with completely different set of partners, because it's outside of Chicago, in northwest Indiana in a very similar way. And the same story there, where you have the local park districts are right up front with us, wanting to do this and help us do this and or manage it after we do the restoration. So that is a real sea change that is very important to our chances of success with this kind of work. Is this something that is also, uh, are, you, are you modeling this uh, from other
0: groups, or are they taking their cues from you? How's that working? I mean, I mean, in other states and perhaps other parts of the world,
8: um, you know, I think Chicago is a great leader uh, yes, for conservation true. and community organizing. I think that, you know, however we can share what we're doing, um we're just as much learning from other organizations as well. And I think you know, Audubon being an organization that partners very closely with landowners and other um, other funders, um, I think that it's really important for us to share and learn from one another and continue to challenge ourselves to, you know, figure out where this journey of restoration and community building and um, engagement can go.
0: Well, we seem to have lost Rick DeMaio. We have no idea. He Maybe the bro- yeah, cell he,
8: probably dropped. That's what I'm
0: thinking. He was out walking the dog. Yeah. i got he, some he, of
5: the snowfall totals and things from him An email this
0: morning. Sure. Give us that real quick. Uh, He says,
5: the official snowfall for Chicago as of 1 a.m. was 2.5 inches observed at O'Hare. This was the latest accumulating snow since May 6th of 1989. The official snowfall for Rockford was 3.7 inches observed at Chicago Rockford Airport. Um, Other snowfall amounts include 0.4 inches at the National Weather Service Chicago office in Romeoville and 1.5 three miles southwest of Midway while this was the latest accumulating snow in Chicago and Rockford in 25 plus years, parts of the area have had later accumulating snow, including May 16th of 2014.
0: Oh, we, I don't remember that. I don't either. I just think may that. and it was probably a dusting, something like that. But 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 getting back to uh, natives and what they do, certainly the plants. The smart plants, the natives, haven't even begun to come out of the ground, but there are earlier spring ephemerals, and they're not affected by this. I was looking at May apples in my backyard, mm-hmm. and, and they're coated in snow, and I'm thinking, eh, they don't care. No. They're, sure. they're going to they're gonna be cool with that, uh, uh, and, and nature has a way of adjusting. So in terms of planting stuff, putting in plugs and that sort of thing, that, this doesn't bother you at all, does it?
8: No, certainly not. And even the warmer season, uh, things are starting to come up. Um, just, you know, bergamot's starting to pop up. And, ah. Yes, and, yeah, and the I... grasses. So I, I think if you go out to any of your local natural areas, you'll certainly see um, it's starting to green up.
9: You know, in our shop, we often get every year there's when there's a big summer drought, for example, which some years we've had them, Wetlands Initiative, we get the phone calls of uh, concerned members and supporters saying, Oh, my God, the wetlands are all going to die. They're all drying up. Right? Which is sort of the opposite of what we had yesterday. And our answer, (laughs) our ecologist's answer is, relax. The wetlands evolved for millions of years to be flexible, dynamic, year to year. They deal with the wetlands will be just fine. Well, (laughs) yeah, that's uh, uh,
0: uh, something you can do. uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted here for a second. Um, Rain gardens are the same way. Mm -hmm. They They will... dry out and they will have water and they are the plants are adapted to to do both yeah peggy you had a forecast you wanted to get to that
5: uh, and this came from rick as well that we're supposed to have several periods of rain through wednesday according to the national weather service today uh coolest north warmest south 45 to 59 degrees monday uh coolest lakeside 50 to 62 degrees 100 percent chance of rain mostly in the morning
0: uh, on which day
5: monday tomorrow
0: Yeah, we go right back into the rain.
5: Yep, rain likely Tuesday, 60% chance. Coolest lakeside again, 48 to 68 degrees. Wednesday, uh, 40% chance of rain and thunderstorms. Warmest well to the south, 58
0: to 72. All right, we've got Rick on the phone. All right, let's go to Rick. You got two minutes, dude.
4: Yeah, I don't know what happened there. I'm out walking my dog. Next thing you know, reception went away and actually came back to my apartment to get connected from a hard line. So I really apologize for that. So, uh, all right, so quickly, what do you guys want to talk about?
5: <laughs> we were just running through the forecast we, here.
0: We did, we did a, a quick... I conne- heard that
4: part, yeah. Yeah,
0: the quick analysis of the snow. We didn't. It didn't turn out to be as bad a storm, basically, as folks thought, right?
4: No, it, actually, it turned out to be exactly what I thought. I mean, I predicted two <laughs> to three inches of snow at O'Hare and three to four north. No, I'm serious. I thought the weather service went completely... Too much snow because of what happened on the 14th of April, and that happens a lot in the world of weather. You miss one, and you kind of go twice as hard as the next one. You know what? You know, as scientists, you all learn from maybe over-forecasting, but the bottom line in the end, um, this ended up being more of a precipitation event. Look at the liquid, and I think I sent you guys some information on that. Some areas of the Chicagoland area got 1.25 to 1.50 inches of water. Mm -hmm. then Peg running down the forecast there, I don't know if you mentioned, but we can see as much as three inches of additional rain by the time we get to Wednesday. So next week, instead of talking about snow, we'll be probably talking about flooding.
0: Wow. wow. Okay. That well that that gave us a, a good insight of what into what's gonna happen. We'll figure out the phones, Rick, and uh we'll we'll talk to you next week, okay? Thanks, no, that
4: that we we figured it out. That was all my bad. I'm sorry about that, guys.
0: <laughs> No problem. Uh until next time, go green or go home. Stadler? Yeah, what?
2: Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know.
1: I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.